if someone had told me that I'd be giving the Good Friday message from my son's bedroom, I would have told him, you are absolutely crazy. But here we are. It is a strange time. And it is a somber time. It's a doubly somber time. Um, it's somber because it's Good Friday. And it's somber because of the things that are going on in our world uh, around us. Um, and maybe we can identify in a way where we don't normally identify with Good Friday because we're more isolated and we feel alone more than a few weeks ago. Uh, we're facing trial and difficulty, uh, whether it's as individuals or nationally or globally. Uh, we're thinking about our own mortality, a virus that's like a tenth of the size, uh, a tenth of a micron. It just reminds us of how fragile we always are. Um, and these are the types of things that Jesus faced leading up to Good Friday. Isolation and loneliness, the agony of trial and difficulty, the unavoidable reality of death. And while I get it, we will never experience the extent to which Jesus felt these things. I think this year of all years, we're tasting a little bit more of this somber reality than we normally would at this time. So what I'd like to do is I would like to re-enter into Jesus' story, his death and his crucifixion, as just read by Amy and Josh. And I want to highlight five brief pictures for us to consider and meditate on in a deeper way tonight. So the first picture is you see Jesus cursed. In the Bible, to be cursed means there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And just about everybody in this story believes that Jesus is cursed, that there's something wrong with him. Judas believes Jesus is cursed and betrays him. The authorities believe it and they arrest him. The high priest believes it and condemns him for blasphemy. He says he deserves death. The crowd believes it and they shout crucify him. The soldiers believe it and they beat him. They believe he's not worthy of living in Rome. The passers-by, when Jesus is on the cross, they believe that Jesus is cursed too, and so they mock him. So everywhere you see this human verdict, which is Jesus is cursed, there must be something wrong with him. He deserves what is coming to him. And maybe one of the most surprising things of this whole story is that God agrees with that verdict. I mean, think about that. God agrees that Jesus is cursed because when Jesus cries from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows that he is abandoned by God and he is cut off from God's presence. Why? The people were right. Jesus was cursed, just not in the way they imagined. Jesus isn't cursed because he's a fraud and he's been exposed. He's not cursed because he's a criminal and he's been caught. Jesus is cursed because he took our curse upon himself. We are the ones who are cursed. And yet somehow Jesus bears that curse, our curse, our sin on the cross. You see, the Bible begins with what? The first man. And the first woman, they go to a tree and they rebel against God and then God's curse comes on them. And at this moment, the climax, another man goes to a tree, but he doesn't rebel, he obeys, he's faithful, but yet God's curse comes upon him as well. 
Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Do you believe that you and I, that we, we are the ones who put Jesus on the cross? It wasn't just the people that we read about tonight. It was us too, here, April 2020. We put him on the cross too, because Jesus had to bear our curse and our sin. So that's the first picture I want you to consider. The second picture, Jesus as a reckless rescuer. When Jesus goes to the cross, he is on a rescue mission, absolutely. And as a rescuer, Jesus, he is running into danger and not away from it. He puts the needs of others before his own. And I cannot help right now but thinking of the thousands and thousands of men and women, nurses, doctors, first responders, who are at this very moment, while we sit in comfort, they're entering into danger to help those with the coronavirus. And why are they doing that? It is to save them. They have the ability to rescue, so they go into the danger, even at great risk to themselves. And like a doctor or nurse, Jesus, he sees our need, he sees our sickness, our sinfulness, and so he goes to the place where he can take care of that. And it's not a hospital, it's not a clinic, but it is a cross. And Jesus carries out this mission in a radically different way than the medical personnel of today. And I want you to see this. His mission is reckless. And by that, I mean, when a doctor or nurse, you know this, when they go into a hospital to save lives, they completely cover and protect themselves. There are the N95 masks, right? The full body suits, you know, the protective face shields, the latex gloves. They literally suit up with medical armor in order to protect themselves. And we want them to, it's totally understandable. But Jesus does the opposite. Instead of suiting up, he suits down. He strips himself of protection. He lays aside his power and makes himself vulnerable. He goes into Jerusalem during Passover in order to be arrested. He tells his disciples to put away their swords and he does not resist arrest. When he's at trial, he barely speaks to defend himself. He claims he can call upon 12 legions of angels to save him, but he doesn't do it. And on the cross, he's taunted, look, Jesus, you've saved others, and now you can't even save yourself. And the reality is, is Jesus has the power to do that at that moment, but he doesn't use it and instead hangs there until the bitter end. It is precisely because Jesus is saving us that he can't that he won't save himself. You see, Jesus, either he has to save himself or us. Salvation at this moment is an either-or proposition. It is not both and. And so he saves us. He's a reckless rescuer. The third picture. Jesus enters a world saturated with opposites. There are so many things in this account that are completely flipped around. Just opposite of the way that they actually are. 
So here's a few examples of what I'm talking about. The people are standing in judgment over Jesus. And yet Jesus is the almighty judge of all, including the people who are judging him. The people use their breath to mock Jesus. And yet Jesus, as the author of life, he is the one who gives them the very breath to mock him. The people claim that Jesus is not fit to live, and yet Jesus is the one who has been alive for all eternity. And he is the one who has come to give us true life. The people claims that Jesus deserves to die, and yet Jesus is immortal and cannot die unless he grants them permission to carry out their sentence. And then there are opposites that reach out through this story and into your life right now. Jesus is wounded so that you can be healed. Jesus is bound and punished so that you can be set free. Jesus enters death so that you can have new life in him. Jesus dies as a thief so that he can steal your sins away. Jesus dies as a murderer so that he can kill the sting of death for you. And Jesus is condemned and ends outside of the city gates so that you can be restored and brought near and into the family of God. You see, Jesus, he enters this world of opposites so that he could unleash countless blessings upon you. It's an act of pure beauty, grace, and love. Jesus acted, we receive by faith, and we respond with our lives. The fourth picture, Jesus submits. Jesus says to Judas, do what you came to do. Jesus prays in the garden, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus cries from the cross, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. These are all statements of submission. And certainly, no doubt, Jesus is in pain and agony on the cross. But how do we explain that he is also experiencing peace and comfort there as well? When, when Jesus cries to the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is not a cry of agony or pain. When Jesus cries, into your hands, he's taking comfort in the fact that he now rests in his Father's hands. And then when he cries, I commit my spirit, he is finding peace in the truth that now his spirit will return back to the Father. It is a cry of comfort and peace in the midst of pain and agony. And how do we explain this? And I think this can only be explained because Jesus, he has complete awareness of who he is. He's the eternal son of God who has completely submitted to his father's plan, which is to die for the sins of the world. And now that he's done that very thing, 
He has submitted perfectly to the Father's plan. He has comfort and peace. And he can rest and say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus, he nailed the bullseye. He ran the marathon of suffering to the absolute finish line. He submitted to his Father's will and has the satisfaction that he has accomplished his mission and his purpose. And he is ready to receive the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Words that we hope to hear from him someday. And fifth, and a final picture to consider on Good Friday, because of Jesus' beautiful and amazing submission, we can have security. Jesus completed the work that his father sent him to accomplish. He did not come up short. He made it to the end. And his final cry on the cross was, it is finished. And this is why Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the father. And he's there until he comes again. And Jesus' finished work on the cross is now our confidence and our security. You see, your confidence in God or before God, it is not based on your confidence. Your confidence before God is based on what Jesus has done for you. And hear him say tonight, it is finished. It's complete. There's nothing left for him to do to make you any more right before God, to make you any more of a son or daughter who belongs to God. If the son has set you free, then you are free indeed. So where is your confidence tonight? How is your confidence? Are you securely resting in the grace and the love of Jesus for you. This is a night for each of us to hear Jesus' final words on the cross. It is finished, and hear them spoken directly to you. He finished his work for you. Do you hear him saying those words to you? So there are the five pictures, and they actually spell out what unites us and gives us hope tonight. And maybe some of you have already figured this out. There's C, Jesus bore our curse. R, he is a reckless rescuer. O, Jesus entered into a world of opposites to pour out blessings upon us. S, Jesus submitted to his father's will and S, Jesus' finished work gives you and me security. So those five pictures spell out the word cross because we are people of the cross. The cross is not just a Roman execution device that we read about in the history text. No, the cross is now our life and our hope. And once we find our life and our hope there, then Jesus calls us to follow him and to live for him in all that we are and all that we do. Jesus is amazing. He's worth giving your life to. You can trust him.
And so tonight and every night, may Christ fill each one of you with his love. And may God fill you with his spirit as you continue to put your hope in him and live for him. Amen.